1: Why are the playoffs better at Boston pizza? Because we've optimized our sports bar experience by studying in-depth fanalytics, starting with our new
3: BP winged ribs, currently leading all apps in wings above replacement and deep fried pickle wedges, an early favorite for the unanimous number one overall pickle. And of course the advanced stats, darling and leader in pints per game, the new beer Mosa
1: catch the playoffs at Boston pizza powered by fanalytics.
3: Welcome into
2: Daily Face Off Live, your go to source for everything hockey, live every weekday at noon
0: Eastern. I do not think I am exaggerating when I say this may be the most jam packed edition of Daily Face Off Live that we have ever done. Welcome into the show. As always, Daily Face-Off Live is brought to you by Botano. The game starts now at Batano.ca And Frank Saravalli, our NHL insider at Daily Faceoff, you are hard at work this morning breaking the news that Daryl Sutter is out as the head coach of the Calgary Flames. His extension hadn't even kicked in yet. The two-year deal he signed with the club, and they're making a change behind the bench. Frank, we are starting there. What led to this, and are you surprised that this happened, even though they moved on from Bradtree Living as well?
3: Well, it does seem a little bit ass backwards in the sense that the big reason Brad Truliving is gone is because he wanted to make a coaching change and that didn't happen. So therefore he decided to part ways, not sign a contract extension. And that's, you know, kind of leaves a lot of question marks. However, Don Maloney, their new president of hockey operations, was a big part of the exit interviews that took place with the Calgary Flames players. He saw and heard everything. And I'm not exaggerating when I say that Daryl Sutter alienated 90% of this organization this season. It was not just players in the room, but also members of the equipment and training staff, the assistant coaches and other people in the front office. I I wasn't kidding when I framed the question this way, when the regular season ended, does Daryl Sutter have a path to return as Calgary Flames head coach? The answer that we learned on Monday is no, and despite their best attempts to try and keep him and not pay out that $4 million a year contract in vain, there was really no other way for the Calgary Flames to approach what is a gigantic offseason. both from hiring a GM perspective, does anyone really wanna come in with a bulletproof coach under them? And also trying to re-sign or keep critical pieces of this team's core to be competitive, Elias Lindholm. Noah Hannafin. Go down the list. A lot of players that need new contracts this summer probably wouldn't be signing along with a long list of other players who had no interest in playing for Daryl Sutter again next season.
0: Last summer, it was a roster reset for the Calgary Flames. This summer, it feels like a bit of a cultural reset with Daryl Sutter out the door. Any early leanings on where they could go here with this coaching hire, Frank? Or is it just way too soon? Like they got to cross the GM bridge first, no?
3: I'm not sure that that's the case because they do have leadership in place with Don Maloney as president of Hockey Ops, so quite clearly he's going to be the man at the top of the pyramid. Um, I I think there's a number of internal candidates. I think Mitch Love and the job that he's done with the uh, Calgary Wranglers in the American Hockey League I think is a prime candidate. I wonder about Kirk Muller, who's been on their bench and has head coaching experience, uh, certainly would be interested, I think, in taking over that position. Um, You know, there's, there's no shortage of Ryan Huska, another internal candidate that has received interest around the league as an up and comer. That's three guys right there on your own staff who could easily be this team's head coach next season. No clarity yet as to who that might be. I have a sneaking suspicion that there's lots of interest in Mitch Love, but not confirmed just yet.
0: Interesting stuff. We will have more on this in the coming days. It's going to be a fascinating summer in Calgary. But let's throw two minutes and 30 seconds up on the clock and talk about maybe one of the craziest Sunday nights in NHL history. Frank, we have a comment in the YouTube chat from D.E. Lee who said, biggest choke in NHL history, LOL. My response to that would be, who are you talking about the abs or the bruins let's start with the bruins though frank they were a minute away from advancing last night and then brandon montour finds the back of the net it's carter Verhage with the ot winner a historic bruins regular season sputters out in the playoffs uh when you look let's start with the panthers maybe they really bought into this underdog, no one's given us a shot mindset, and it paid off. That was quite the impressive run from them to rattle off three in a row against Boston.
3: Yeah, I said after game two, the best way to describe the Florida Panthers is fearless. And all that said, the Bruins did choke like dogs. It's not just the three-to-one mm-hmm. series lead that they had, but also clawing all the way back after trailing two-nothing in that game against the Panthers in game seven, taking a three-two lead, You know, your play is brimming with confidence at that point, and you take your foot off the gas in the final minute of the game that would have propelled this team into the second round of the playoffs. It's unconscionable, it's unthinkable that this 65-win team that had a 43-point edge over the Florida Panthers, and maybe that number is a little bit deceiving because this Panthers team underachieved this year and won the President's Trophy last year, at least the vast core of them did, It doesn't take away anything from the idea that this Bruins team left no stone unturned in terms of being like this. You know, all the vets that they have on that team, all the pieces that they acquired, Dimitri Orlov and Garnet Hathaway and Tyler Bertuzzi, all significant contributors, and David Krejci and Patrice Bergeron, this is how they're going to go out?
0: Well, let's look ahead quickly to what the next few months could look like in Boston. Like when we see this team in October of next season take to the ice again, how different are they going to look?
3: I would imagine pretty different just from a sheer cap perspective because there's no way for them to really bring back the same group. They're gonna have to say goodbye to a number of the guys that they acquired at the trade deadline, and if they're not, then they're gonna have to jettison other pieces on their roster. They have a $4.5 million bonus overage that carries into next season. Effectively, if the cap is 83.5, limits them to a $79 million ceiling. And they're gonna have to make tough decisions all over their lineup, on their blue line, one of, Grizzlick or Carlo is likely to go. Will Taylor Hall be traded with the $6 million that he earns? And then what happens with Bergeron and Krejci? I would be surprised at this point if Krejci came back. He really seemed, you know, yes, a great season, but seemed to slow down a lot for me. And Patrice Bergeron, it's been a tough go. There's a lot of miles on those tires. And he's got to somehow shake the sour taste of this. Is that enough to bring him back for another run?
0: Yeah, it'll be really interesting to see how that goes in Boston. We talked about an interesting summer in Calgary. It'll be the same thing in Beantown. Uh, Let's go into the Kraken upsetting the Colorado Avalanche. The defending champs are done, and they made a great push late in that game. It looked like Nathan McKinnon had scored a huge goal to tie it up, but it was called back on the offside. Kraken hold on two to one I do feel for our friend Barra who watches the show from Sweden he said he got three hours of sleep on a work day just to watch his boys lose two one in a game seven that is tough but Frank this Kraken team they are the definition of depth and true team hockey really no
3: team hockey it's the sum of their parts is certainly greater than a lot of the individuals that are on that roster So much credit goes to the Kraken. I've called them the hungriest team in hockey. A 1-0 lead, scoring the first goal in all seven games of that seven-game series. And I think if you want to know where this series was won or lost, you can just take a look at the score sheet for the entire series. Go down and go through the 15 players on the Seattle Kraken roster. 15 of their 18 skaters registered at least one goal. They only had three guys that registered two. No one hit three in the series. Yeah, did the Avs have the star power that uh, you would think would set them apart? But where they lost this series was on the margins, on depth. When it comes down to a series that close, um, you you have to have your depth players contributing. And the Avs didn't have that. Um, they also got out-battled in net. Philip Grubauer, for the first time in Kraken franchise history, really, two years now, they got goaltending, so that was a huge part of it as well. Uh, when you're playing in such a close game like that game seven on the road, as the Kraken were, to be able to get out to that lead and then to be able to hang on to it against a furious push that you knew would be coming from the Abs, full marks to the Kraken for advancing to the second round. And for the Abs, lots of questions coming for them too. They're going to have to make tough decisions with their own salary cap moving forward. Tyler and I would say. The one thing that stood out to me, yes, this Avs team certainly uh, was hit by injuries at varying points. Missing Gabriel Landeskog for the entire season, really difficult. Um, but And missing Kale McCarr for a game with his suspension, not easy. But they had the talent and probably should have been able to advance. And I wonder what the impact of, of playing last year and going on a deep run has had on them. Were they a little bit overconfident, thinking that they'd be able to just skate by the Kraken?
0: Yeah. Uh, big shout out to Oliver Bjorkstrand as well. A couple of goals there. That was a great pickup by Ron Francis over the summer. Just quickly, when you look at the summer ahead for the Avs, Frank, could they be chasing one big piece to maybe you know replace what they lost in a Nazem Qadri, or is it going to be a summer of improving the depth?
3: Yeah, I'd be surprised just based on the math. Like They're going to have okay. to probably say goodbye to Samuel Girard and their back end. Uh, he's one guy at five million bucks. They have like nine players that they need to sign with only 10 or so you know maybe a little more than that in cap space million dollars you know Nathan McKinnon his salary quite literally doubles to 12.6 million dollars next season they, they're probably not going to go out and be a big spender but we just talked about depth and all the ways that they can add to that team this is also if you look at the free agent board the perfect summer to be in the market for depth because this is one of the worst free agent classes out there in terms of star power but maybe not in terms of guys that you could find as more inexpensive difference makers.
0: Sunday night was upset night around the NHL, and as a hockey fan north of the border, Frank, when I think of Saturday nights, I think of hockey night in Canada, and the two Canadian teams remaining in the Stanley Cup playoffs certainly gave their fan bases a lot to cheer for. Listen, I am not a Toronto Maple Leafs fan or a supporter, but I had a bit of a smile on my face watching that fan base at Maple Leafs Square go absolutely bananas after John Tavares scored the game winner in overtime in game six. It just all felt so Perfect with the captain being the one who gets the job done for Toronto. The reaction from the bench was insane. The reaction from Kyle Dubas was also insane. But the Leafs have shaken their round one demons and are on to round two, Frank. But they did it in interesting fashion when you kind of go game by game and really break down how they were able to beat this Tampa Bay Lightning team. Like the Bolts actually look good in a lot of these games, and the Leafs just somehow snuck out wins at every turn.
3: That's what makes it kind of difficult to handicap what happens next for the Toronto Maple Leafs. One, there's this hugely emotional component to their win. You could see it on the players' faces, you could see it on Sheldon Keefe's face in his post-game press conference, and you could obviously see it in Kyle Dubas jumping around the executive box in Amelie Arena. This meant so much to this team, this franchise, this city, But now what does that mean in terms of the bigger picture moving on? Because I've been saying for months, the idea that the Toronto Maple Leafs just being satisfied with advancing past round one means that you've lost the plot. You're only four out of the 16 wins required the way there. That's 12 to go. And so now they have this incredible opportunity now with the Boston Bruins, the best regular season team in NHL history, being booted in the first round, to then go on a deep run? Will they come through and, and make good on that open path that's been created for them? They've got the Florida Panthers, a 92-point team that I think could give the Toronto Maple Leafs some fits, but I also think it makes it hard to handicap this series, Tyler, because of the way that it played out. In a lot of ways, what the Tampa Bay Lightning are feeling today is essentially what The Toronto Maple Leafs themselves have been feeling for the last number of years. They were probably the better team in the series and lost in some incredibly opportunistic ways, coughing up leads and now being on the wrong end of it, sitting here saying, we played better than that team for five of the six games. Why aren't we the one that's moving on? Sometimes that's the way hockey works, but you take that Plus the emotional part of it, and I say, I don't really know what to make of the Toronto Maple Leafs moving forward. I would think that they have every advantage, and in fact, I would pick the Leafs to win the second round against the Florida Panthers. But there's a lot of unknown here, and we got to see how they handle winning and what that feels like.
0: I was laughing because there was a sick, twisted part of me, Frank. As we watched all those reactions, saw the players going nuts, the coaches, the fans, all of it. I was like, "Man, can you imagine if that goal was offside and got called back?" And there's always that thought in my head whenever a big OT winner gets scored. I'm always like,
3: "Oof, what if it's offside?"
0: How about uh, anyways, this? that's good. Cool.
3: Could you imagine that the Tampa Bay Lightning were one shot away from winning Game Six? Yeah. We'd be having a vastly different conversation, especially after all the lineup changes that the Maple Leafs made for Game Six. Uh, we'd be having a totally different talk today about game seven.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, later on that night, it was the Edmonton Oilers eliminating the LA Kings for the second season in a row in the first round of the playoffs. This time, they only needed six games to get it done, as Klim Kostin and Kyler Yamamoto were the heroes for the Edmonton Oilers. And that's where I want to go when it comes to this Edmonton team, Frank. You go through this series, and yes, Connor McDavid still put up the points. Leon Dreisaitl was incredible. But I think there's something brewing with the depth on this Oilers team. And I got some numbers for you. At five on five with both McDavid and Drysaddle off the ice. The Oilers outscored the Kings four to three. They outshot the Kings 67-64. And you might be saying, okay, big deal. They outscored the Kings by one with McDavid and Drysaddle off the ice. But a year ago, that wasn't the case. The depth was just trying not to get absolutely caved. While McDavid, Drysaddle, and Kane absolutely carried the load offensively. That's probably the biggest difference with this Oilers team, and part of the reason why they're probably the biggest threat in the Western Conference right now is McDavid and Drysaddle are going to get theirs. But the depth of this team is now not just competent, it's winning the battle for them. And I think that's what's separating this team from the Oilers groups we've seen in years past.
3: I think another thing that's separating them is the fact that there were enough moments in this first-round matchup that they easily could have panicked, and they didn't. I think they showed a lot of resolve and composure. Um, playing against an LA team that, frankly, at times, for a team that's driven based on star power can drive you a bit crazy. And I understand mm-hmm. your point about the depth, and I think that's a significant one and a game changer moving forward for this team. There's no doubt in my mind that the Oilers have better surrounded Connor McDavid and Leon Draisaitl than they've ever been at any point in their careers in Edmonton. But it's, it's really a stylistic thing when I look at Edmonton and LA in the first round that they, the Kings made the Oilers' life really difficult. And the fact that they were to, able to pick through that and navigate through that with Connor McDavid not ever really going off in any one game, not to say he wasn't good. Of course he was good, but he wasn't dominating. And the reason for that is Philip Deneau and the way that the Kings played. And yet all of that said, Connor McDavid still put up 10 points in the series, would have been the leading scorer on the LA Kings for that type of point production for the series. And that's the scariest part for the Vegas Golden Knights moving forward, who I don't think not only don't have the horses to score with the the Oilers, but more to the point, they don't have the threats defensively to put up against the Edmonton Oilers in the way that the Kings do with Deneau or Kopitar. And in some ways, I actually think this second round matchup against the team that won the Pacific Division is the better matchup for the Edmonton Oilers moving forward. And I think this is, presents itself, like the Toronto Maple Leafs, a wide open path, especially with the Colorado Avalanche being gone, to go on a deep run.
0: I know we are getting to a lot here and we got our pal James Nichols stopping by in just a second, but in 30 seconds, Frank, off-season priorities for the LA Kings.
3: Off-season priorities. One, figure out the goaltending. Uh Eunice Corpusalo certainly didn't have a bad series by any stretch of the imagination. It did feel like the King, the Oilers kind of figured him out a little bit. Uh so they've got Corpusalo, who's a pending free agent. And can they possibly move that Cal Peterson contract because that's going to be damaging? And then what do they do with their blue line? Too many right shot defensemen. Normally for most teams, that'd be a good problem to have, but they need to rebalance their back end. And that's going to come with first off moving Sean Walker. Second, what other pieces can you possibly you know move around to get Sean Dursey playing on his natural side, Jordan Spence in the lineup next season, Brant Clark knocking on the door. There's lots of really impressive pieces coming for an L.A. team that I think their window is really just cracking open.
0: There you go. A big recap on what we saw over the weekend. A couple of intriguing Game 6s throughout things, and then a couple of big Game 7s, and there's another Game 7 coming tonight between the Devils and the Rangers. Let's get into it with the All-32.
3: Go to Bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's Bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST.
0: The All 32 is brought to you by Boston Pizza and their brand new menu powered by Fanalytics, including deep fried pickles, a very tasty mosa, and pizza flights. There are plenty of reasons. To watch the playoffs at BP's. James Nichols covers the New Jersey Devils for the fourth period. He also covers the Islanders. This guy's been all over the place over the last couple of weeks. But James, you get to cover a game seven in New Jersey tonight. And when you look at the way this series has played out through six games with some interesting goaltending storylines, great storylines with the star players in this series, power plays, defense. What's going to be the key battleground tonight between these two sides in game seven?
2: Yeah, for for the New Jersey Devils, it's going to be staying on a penalty box. You saw how that hindered them in uh, Game Six. You know, the, you saw Chris Kreider. Uh, you know, if he had an office of his own, it's right in front of the net, and, and that's exactly where he scored. So, um, you know, that was the focus this morning. You know, the guys were talking about we have to, you know, play our game five on five. We've been a better team five on five all year, and uh, you know, you, you could just see in, in the Devils' game throughout the season how good they were. Um, you know, at even strength, puck pressure. Uh, constantly and, and just how fast they are, right? They're, they're a much faster team than the Rangers, um, so they have to just make sure that they play at even strength. And, and as for, you know, the Rangers, they're a, a little bit more physical. They get under the skin uh, a little more of the Devils, and, and, you know, that that's their game. You see guys like Lafreniere getting under the skin uh, between whistles. You see Prider getting in the mix, um, and, and you, you see Jacob Truba doing what he does all the time. So. Um their, their focus is to, you know, get as many bodies in front of the goaltender, who we believe is going to be a Shmeet tonight, um, and, and make it as hard for him as possible to see pucks.
3: James, so glad to have you on the show. Uh, so big welcome on that end. But also just you mentioned the idea that the Devils and Rangers, it's been such an interesting stylistic battle for me, that speed that the Devils have versus the physicality of the Rangers. And it's gone back and forth. But the Devils have really struggled to score in a way that, I think is probably a bit uncharacteristic for the season as a whole, and they've also been reliant for some of that scoring on their own power play. What has been the reason why the Devils haven't been able to put more in the back of the net? Is it solely Igor Shesterkin, or is it more than that?
2: Yeah, I think you, you definitely have to give a little bit of credit to Igor Susterkin, right? If you look at some of the advanced analytics and you see some of the uh, the goose eggs on the board for guys like Jesper Bratt, uh, Timo Meyer, and Nico Heischer, their expected goals are, are all above one and a half or more. And I think Nico Heischer and Timo Meyer are inching closer to three goals, expected for uh, per game. So it's it, it definitely you need to give credit to Igor Susterkin. He's been doing a, a pretty good job um, at stopping the puck, uh, especially, you know. in in this series, but um, again, it, it comes down to getting bodies in front of him, not letting him see pucks, not letting him track pucks. I think that they got away from that a little bit in game six. They were doing a pretty good job of that. Um, in, in game five, you saw that with Eric Halva's, uh power play goal and, and how he deflected it past uh, Shesterkin. Got away from it a little bit in game six. They, they did have their momentum taken away from them with that brutal second period, a lot of, a lot of penalties there. Um, so they just got to make sure to, you know, put more bodies in front of Igor Shesterkin. And, um, you know, those guys like Timo Meyer, Nico Heischer and Jesper Brad, who have been playing well, just not seeing results, you know, they just got to cash in.
0: You look at the way the Rangers stars have performed in this series. And I know Chris Kreider has the five power play goals and he's been lighting it up in that department. But I mean, Kane, one goal at even strength so far. Zibanejad, one goal at even strength so far as well. On the other side for the Devils, you mentioned some of the stars that are maybe struggling to find the back of the net. Jack Hughes has three goals. I know a lot of hockey fans were excited to see what he would do in his first playoff appearance. What have you made of Jack Hughes's game through six games in
2: this series? Yeah, he he's been fantastic. I mean, even through the first two games where the uh, the Devils, you know, they, they lost those games, you just seen the swagger he's had the whole time. Um, he's been playing with a ton of confidence, and you know, it starts with the mentality and you know, with the the messages in the room where, um, you know, every morning they're just talking about, yeah, it's just another hockey game, right? We're not going to treat this as game one. We're not going to treat this as game three. We're not going to treat this as game five. It's just another hockey game. Um, and Jack Hughes has definitely resonated with that well, so he's carried over his momentum from the regular season, playing really well. Um, you know, stick handling the puck through the, the neutral zone and into the offensive zone so well. Uh, his zone entries are, are just uh, something to see, uh, a, a sight for sore eyes. It's, a, it's, a, it's amazing to watch him do it. Um, and, and, you know, he's just been really good at, at, at setting up the offense and creating the plays all on his own, too. I mean, he, he really is the play driver for the Devils here. So um, he's been fantastic. I, the pressure of the playoffs hasn't got to, gotten to him at all. Um, and, and he's risen to the occasion. So he, he's been great.
0: James Nichols from the fourth period. Thanks for hopping on, man. Enjoy game seven tonight.
2: Yeah, I appreciate you guys uh, having me on, and uh, I'll talk to you guys again soon.
0: Couple of questions to get to in our inbox segment. Hashtag Ask DFO Frank, I'll start with this one. The only team we even touched on out west is the Dallas Stars. Uh, so rank the final four teams in the West in terms of their chances of winning the Stanley Cup
3: all right so I would go one Edmonton two Dallas uh three Vegas four Seattle
0: that really does feel like the consensus way of doing it I I think maybe my counterpoint would be to have Vegas higher but then I feel dumb going Edmonton one, Vegas two. So I really have a hard time arguing with, with your order of four. I have a funny feeling that's how a lot of hockey fans would feel. I also want to throw and I you would this say, one, Frank.
3: Oh, no, I would just ahead. say, too, don't sleep on the Dallas Stars. A really good team okay. that plays physical. They're deep. They've got the mobile blue line, and they've got the goaltender. There's not a lot the Stars are missing. So um, I don't I don't want to discount the Kraken and what they've done. I also don't think that Avs team is anywhere near as deep as they were last year. Plus, they were banged up, not having Nachushkin, uh, and uh, and Makar was suspended, all those things, Landis Cog, like there was a lot that went into that series win for the Kraken.
0: This one comes in from Tony Couture in the daily face-off YouTube chat. Frank, he wants to know if you've got an early con Smythe pick through one round of the playoffs. It's tough to do. I will say our friends at Patano have Connor McDavid as the favorite at seven to one, followed by Matthews, then Seidel and Marner to round out the top four. But who's one player who stood out as maybe the MVP through one round?
3: Matthew Kachuk. Ah, that would one. be my round one MVP. I know that's not a con Smythe winner but that's the guy I would pick.
0: If uh, I had to throw a name into the ring here and someone whose odds I actually like over on Batano, Rupe Hints is 17 to one. This guy had 12 points in round one, two points per game, five more points than anyone else on that team. You know, Joe Pavelski went down and Rupe Hints was a big reason why that top line kept humming Frank.
3: He's a good one, no doubt. Yep.
0: Yeah. Let's stick with Betano and get to our daily bets for the day. Just one game on tap, but it is a big one with it being game seven between the Rangers and Devils. The game starts now at Batano.ca. Frank, I am betting on goals tonight. I am going over five and a half between the Devils and the Rangers in this hockey game. I know Igor Shesterkin is a great goalie, but I still think the offense will get going. James talked about how some of the big guns on the Devils are kind of due to start scoring at some point. I think we'll get some offense. This line being set at one and a half, and the payout is what specifically intrigues me plus 112. This is hit in three of the six games. So it's kind of been a coin flip on the over under. And if you're going to give me plus money on the over, I'm going to take that side of this bet. So I'm going over five and a half in game seven between the Rangers and Devils tonight out in New Jersey. And that brings us to garbage time. Frank, what do you got cooked up to end what's been a great show?
3: Yeah, we fit uh, 10 pounds of shit in a five pound bag here in today's <laughs> show, but gonna end it with this. We don't know what's gonna happen with Patrice Bergeron and David Krejci next year. Will they come back? Will they not? I can tell you who shouldn't come back. And that's Jack Edwards, the play by play voice of the Boston Bruins on Nesson. Just listen to his goal call as the Florida Panthers won it in OT. On him. Verhage wins the series for Florida,
2: and this joyride ends in a Hindenburg-like ending. The Bruins
0: are the second record-setting team
3: in a row to drop the series in the first round. He's so busy rooting for the Bruins that he can't actually get the call out, which by the way, he compared to a Nazi airship which crashed in New Jersey and 35 people were killed. What? I'm sorry, what was that again? I I mean, and second record-setting team to go down in a row, The. Tampa Bay Lightning didn't set any records, actually. So I'm not sure exactly what Jack Edwards is talking about, but this is the same guy that earlier this season openly mocked Tampa Bay Lightning forward Pat Maroon on the air for his weight. No need for it. Don't understand why he's still working. Please go home.
0: Karma. And there you go, Frank. Uh, The Boston Bruins are done. The Colorado Avalanche are done. Round one, though, is not. Game seven tonight between the Devils and Rangers. And we'll be back tomorrow at noon Eastern to break it down and give our round two picks. Thanks to everyone who is active in the chat. Thanks to everyone who maybe tuned in for the first time today because I know there was a handful of you. We hope to see you again tomorrow and throughout the rest of the playoffs. Enjoy game seven.